uh, Matthew chapter 6. Our focus will be on verse 9, but for the sake of context, I will begin my reading in verse 5, uh, continuing through verse 13. Hear the word of our God. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come with thanksgiving that you have not left us to wonder, uh, but you have revealed yourself to us. Uh, through your word, perfectly in your son, Jesus Christ. Through him, we hear uh, your heart. Through him, we are guided and directed. In him, we are reconciled to you. And so, Lord, speak to us now that we would know not only the way that we may know you, but the way that we may live that honors you, that we might find the greatest joy, our greatest satisfaction, which comes in our fellowship and walking with you. Lord, be at work within us, opening our minds that we may understand, but even more, opening our hearts that we might receive, that we would live in a way that is honor and glorifying to you. To you be all praise and glory in your church throughout the world, we pray. In Christ Jesus, our Redeemer, our King. Amen. Robert Frost famously concludes his poem, The Road Not Taken, with these familiar words. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Every morning that we wake up, every moment of every day that we have woken up, we stand at a point in which we are seeing two roads, two choices, two paths that are standing before us, and we are continuously called to make a choice as to which path we will follow. The decision that we make on whichever path it is that we choose uh, will not only determine the journey, but in many cases it will determine the destination as well. This first petition of the Lord's Prayer, beginning of the Lord's Prayer, our Father is in heaven, is, is known as the address, and it, it reminds us that uh, we have a, an intimate relationship with God that is ours through faith in Jesus Christ. It's God's gift. The relationship that we have with God, we begin with uh, the Our Father, uh, and yet we then move into the actual petitions. And the very first petition that our Lord Jesus Christ uh, taught his disciples to pray is... Uh, Hallowed be your name. 
And this petition is reminding us of these two choices of roads. Will I live for myself or will I live for God? Every morning, every day, every moment of every day, we are faced with that choice. We are at that fork, that crossroads where we have to make that decision. And this morning, we're going to dig into this first petition by asking three questions. What, why, and how? And the first question is this, is what does it mean to hallow God's name? I mean, that's a legitimate question because it's not like the word hallow is a a word that comes up in your everyday conversations. My suspicion is that almost none of you, if any of you, will use that word in a conversation this week except for two kinds of people who are here. Those that are going to do it just to show that I was mistaken. And those of you who are making trip plans to go to the Gettysburg battlefield and you're talking about the Gettysburg address, in which case we have the word hallowed about the hallowed ground, and that will come into your conversation. But if you think about it, the word hallowed, where else do you see that? When do you use that? It's not a word that we use very often, and therefore it seems to be kind of obscure, even in our understanding of what the word is. You may have thought about the word and thought about a definition for it, and there are different synonyms for the word at times, but each one of them on their own is inadequate. And so ultimately, if you are a word student, you come back and realize no matter which synonym you're trying to use, you come back to hallowed. It's one of those words that just is, you know, what, how do you define it? It just defines itself in one way. And yet, In order to understand what it is that Jesus is instructing his followers to do, we we need to have some idea of what the word actually means. The easiest way to understand what the word hallowed means might be, it might come from considering first its opposite, and the opposite would be hollow. When you think of something that is hollow, you recognize it's something that is empty, something that has no substance in it. Hallow is the opposite. Hallow is full. Hallow is, is complete. J.I. Packer says this about the word hallow. He says, hallowed means known, acknowledged, and honored as holy. Bible scholar Frederick Dale Bruner elaborates a little bit more, and he says this, when believers pray, hallowed be your name, they are asking God to be set above, uh, set above us as high and holy, central and important. And so to be God to us and to his people and to his world, that our main concern in life should be that God be treated as God. One more commentator, a British scholar, Michael Green, says it this way in his commentary on Matthew. God's name is to be hallowed. That is to say, we long for his name to have top place in the world and in people's hearts. And we pray, Lord, may we make your name number one in our hearts, in our lives, and in this world. By praying, hallowed be your name, We're asking that God act in such a way that he visibly demonstrates his own glory, his own holiness before the entire world. 
hallowed be your name, is God being God. And that we want him having first place, highest affection, that he is recognized, his glory is seen and valued. And so here's an application question. In your prayer life, is the chief concern of your prayers your own good or God's glory? That's a question we need to ask ourselves over and over again. It's not that praying for our own good, our own needs, is wrong. We are instructed to do so. In fact, the second half of this whole prayer is dealing with our needs. But the first priority and the first half of this prayer doesn't involve us at all. It is entirely focused on God and dependence upon God. And we're instructed that a priority of our life is to hallow God's name. Now that answers the, the what question, but the, the second question is, is, the, is the why question. Why do we need to hallow God's name? And why, you know, along with that, why do we need to uh, pray this prayer? We need to pray this prayer because it's God who must do it. And that's an important thing that we need to get into our minds, particularly those who maybe among the more committed, the, the more zealous, who are wanting God to be glorified and somehow have gotten the impression that it depends upon you, that God somehow will not be recognized if you don't do it. It's not that we don't have a part in playing this, but this is a prayer that is asking God to act in such a way because it's God who must act in order for him to be truly recognized for who he is. And we need to remember that. We also pray this prayer. We also remind ourselves that our primary purpose in life is to glorify God, to, to recognize the glory of God and to, to enjoy him. Because the hallowing of God's name is kind of as a reorientation that gets us back on the only path that takes us to the destination that we long to go to. The hallowing of God's name is sort of like the GPS in my car. Whenever I miss its directions and pass an exit or whenever I decide that I'm going to chart a course for myself. No, I'm thankful for it when I've missed it. In other words, I'm trying to follow, I don't know where I'm going, and so I need the directions, and so therefore, uh, if I miss my exit, it's, you know, turn around, get off the next exit, it just reorients me to get me back on the path to take me where I want to go. But there's other times where I'm fairly familiar with the area where I'm, I'm going, and I, I realize I don't want to take this path, I'm going to take another path, and I go, and the thing keeps saying, turn around, turn around, turn around, reroute, it's quite annoying. But hallowed be thy name is, sort of serves that purpose because in this life, unlike when I'm in certain cities where I, I know where I am, I often think I know where I'm going. I often think that it's appropriate for me to chart my own path. 
but I don't really know. And so hallowed be my name, hallowed be thy name, hallowed be God's name. Continually says, turn around. Get back on the right path. Because there is only one path. It's the path that's less taken. You see, ever since our first parents rebelled against God, because what they thought is they wanted to chart their own path, or at least have the ability to do so. As I read through the narratives of Genesis, I get no sense that they wanted nothing to do with God. They enjoyed fellowship with God. They, they loved God, and God had been good to them, providing them everything. But what they also wanted was this ability to not need God. And so when the temptation came that if you eat of the tree, of this, the fruit of this tree, you will be like God. You will have the knowledge. It's not that they're necessarily saying, God, go away. They're just saying, God, I want to be able to pick and choose my path. I want to be able to pick and choose who I live for. I want to be able to pick and choose my own destiny and the own path. Ever since they acted in that way, they fell, bringing sin into the world. Every one of us has been hardwired to try to chart our own course. Every one of us has it hardwired within us is that we want to live for ourselves whatever is going to bring us either the most glory or the most comfort or the most joy. And we have bought this idea that somehow that comes apart from God and apart from God's glory, not with God and under God's glory. We have this challenge. We, we live for ourselves. Romans 1 expresses the consequence of it, which says this, for although they, people, could be any one of us, knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and in their foolishness, in their foolishness of their hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise or thinking they were wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. This is the effect of sin in every one of us, is that even though we have known God, even though we see evidence of the reality of God, even though any sane person would consider even just the creation, which is the artwork of God, as greater than us, somehow we think that we can be equal, and so we exchange the glory of God for something else. And it warps our journey. It warps our sense of direction. And because that's true, as J.I. Packer says, this, he says, were we left to ourselves, any praying we did would both start and end with ourselves. For our natural self-centeredness knows no bounds. This is the condition of every one of us. Unbeliever and believer. As Christians, we have been forgiven of that sin, and that sin is being put to death, but as every one of us has experienced, it is still alive and comes back sometimes with quite the vengeance. Vengeance. 
and seizes the control. We want ours. We want our due. We want our place. We want our glory. We want, we want what we want. And because that is still true within every one of us, and we don't recognize that, we would do as Packer describes, left unchecked, left to ourselves. Our, our prayers would begin with us and would end with us. Several years ago, I, I read on some blog somewhere uh, a kind of a, a satirical application of the Lord's Prayer that reflects this self-centeredness that is inherent in every one of us unless we are aware and then reorient ourselves by committing ourselves to hallowing God's name. And, and so it's a little bit poetic. I, I, get, I get hints of Dr. Seuss in it. Uh, and yet, unlike Dr. Seuss, I come away also quite bruised. Listen, listen to what a prayer that is self-centered sounds like. My Father in heaven, and I'm going to be clear to begin with, my as opposed to our, it already individualizes that from the very beginning. My Father in heaven, hallowed be my name. My kingdom come. Give me more fame and fortune, prestige and power. Let me be the ruler of my life each and every hour. Hallowed be my name. My will be done. The perfect family, the next promotion. You say you know my desires. Well, then set them in motion. Hallowed be my name. Give me this day my perceived need. Give me what I want and don't call it greed. Hallowed be my name, forgive my sins, at least the ones I admit, all the others you'll just have to permit. Hallowed be my name, lead me not into te temptation, I mean the severest of kind. Those temptations I find insignificance, those will be fine. Hallowed be my name, deliver me from evil, death, and despair, for me to experience them would never seem fair. Hallowed be my name for my kingdom, for my power, for my glory. Obviously, this prayer is over the top. None of us would pray this. Few of us are capable of praying in rhyme to begin with, but we would not pray even the petitions, not where people can hear. But at the same time, I've had the opportunity that you now have, which is to consider this prayer. And then every once in a while, put, lay that over my own prayer. And it is uncomfortable how much my prayer life could fit into the scaffolding of this prayer. It's not that my prayers are inappropriate, but at any moment, at any time, I can become so focused on my needs, my desires, and even my desire to glorify God that I can lose sight of the very God that I claim and think I want to glorify in the first place. And when this is reflective of our prayers, at best, the hallowing of our own name will leave us feeling empty and hollow. We're called, we need to be reoriented. And when we are reminded that it's hallowed 
be God's name. It's to recognize God for who he is, that he is holy, that he is all glorious, and that our greatest good and our greatest joy don't just come from him. They are found in him. It changes our perspective, it changes our heart, and therefore it motivates us to change our path and what we live for. We need something that is worth hallowing. In God's name, God himself is the only one who is worthy. Listen to this statement from Dallas Willard in his book, Divine Conspiracy. This request, the request to hallowed be your name, is based on the deepest need of the human world. Human life is not about human life. Nothing will go right in it until the goodness and greatness of its creator and sustainer is adequately grasped. His very name is then to be held in the highest regard. Until that is so, the human compass will always be pointing in the wrong direction, and individual lives, as well as history as a whole, will suffer from constant and fluctuating disorientation. So why do we hallow God's name? Because hallowing God's name satisfies the deepest longings of our soul to be set free from the tyranny of self. And it rightly reorients us to the greatness and glory of God. What is it? What does it mean to hallow God's name? Why do we need to hallow God's name? And, and finally, how do we become a people that hallow God's name? Well, first, as I briefly touched on, we need to recognize it. It's the purpose for which we are created. The chief end of humanity, man and woman, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's what we are created for. And we need to be reminded of that. And only when we experience that do we experience the joy of doing what we are created to be. We also need to recognize that our greatest satisfaction is not in self, but in being part of something that is bigger than self. Whenever you experience something that is great, don't you turn to somebody and say, share this with me. Let me share this with you. We want to be part of something bigger. The temptation, the lie that we tell ourselves and our culture particularly that tells us is that most joy comes satisfaction by being isolated, by being an individual, is incredibly unsatisfying. We long to be part of something that is bigger than ourselves and God has created us to be part of his kingdom, to be part of his family and part of his mission in this world where we have the opportunity to share the hope that we have, the joy that we've experienced with other people who are wired in the same way. We have that need. But we also need to recognize that the, the old hymn writer was right. We're prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God we love. And we wander from the right path. 
We wander onto our own path. We wander onto the path that other people are, are uh, that we think most people are going to be on, that which will, and we do that because we think that that will bring us acceptance, and acceptance will bring us joy. But only one path leads to a destination that we want to go to. The other one, at best, ends up in a cul-de-sac, and it's in a cul-de-sac in the neighborhood you don't want to go to. And so we need to recognize our greatest joy, our greatest satisfaction is going to come in being part of what God is doing in God himself. We're prone to wander there, and yet reminded that we are very fortunate that we have a shepherd who is a great shepherd, who has revealed how much he values even the wandering sheep. In Luke 15, Jesus tells the story of, or the parable of the lost sheep. It says that a shepherd who has 100 sheep, one of them wanders away, he'll take the 99, he'll make sure that they're in a safe place, and he will go and find that one. And so we may be prone to wander, recognizing our own condition, but we have a savior who is also inclined to come and find us and then celebrates when he does. And Jesus said that at the end is when he comes back with that one sheep, he shares with all of his friends and everybody celebrates the one that was lost, but now has been found. That's you and that's me. Not just in our, our lostness before salvation, but at any time that we've wandered from the path. You see, fundamentally, to hallow God's name is not in our activity of evangelism and mission. That's a byproduct of it. Fundamentally, it's what is the value? What is the desire of your heart? It's the, do you recognize God as God? Are you spending time just considering him, pondering who he is and what he's done, and then responding to that reality so that God is number one, not just in the world, but first and foremost in your own heart? the priority of your life, the one who leads you, the one who guides you, the one who directs you in the way that you ought to go, meaning that as he sets out the course and he lays out the path, we obey not for two reasons. One, because he's the one that knows the way, and two, because in our obedience, we are testifying that he is the one who knows, he is the one who's good, he is the one who can be trusted. We obey because it's right, and God is honored in our obedience because it demonstrates that we trust and that he is the one who's in control. We are hallowing God's name by considering who he is and then obeying. And then part of that is that we also then share. We share with one another. We share with those that are in our circle of friends. We share with anyone who is in need. The reason for the hope that we have is because despite ourselves, Despite our best intentions, despite our own thinking, uh, oftentimes we have a Savior. We have a God who has loved, who has sought us, who has found us, who even celebrates that. And that God has other sheep that are not yet part of his fold. They must be brought in also. And God is hallowed as he is number one in our hearts and as he is hallowed by the people from every tribe and tongue, and nation throughout the earth. So this morning you're standing in a fork, at a fork in the road. We all have a choice to make. 
we all also have an opportunity to make a choice right now. What will you live for? Will you live for yourself in hopes that maybe somehow then God will just accept it? Or will you live to God's glory and the promise of God in saying that in Him you will find your all? The path you choose will make all the difference. Not only today, but tomorrow and the next day. May we be a people to say, hey, not to say, not to us, Lord, but to you and to your name alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks to you for this word that is both convicting and encouraging at the same time. Lord, I confess my own propensity to live for self. I confess the hypocrisy that is not only true of me so often, but will almost no doubt be true of me before this day the sun sets. Having preached about the priority of the hallowing of your name, I know my own heart, I know my own way, I know that before the day is out, I will want my own way. But Lord, how thankful I am for your grace that is ours in Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness that he has secured through bearing the punishment that I deserve, that we all deserve. Not to guilt us into submission, but to free us from ourselves and from the sin that enslaves us. Lord, a love that has done that is worthy not only of all thankfulness, but of my life and my own. Lord, be honored. Be honored by my life, be honored by my thoughts, be honored in my heart, be honored in all the earth. This is my prayer. Glory to you, our God. Amen.